Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO, and today we're back in the podcast studio. I've got a special guest for our audience today coming to us all the way from sunny and warm uh, Florida, Chelsea Gomez. Chelsea, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple Podcast on audio and also on video as we have continued to video our podcast guests. Hi, guys. And yes, very hot Florida, like 94 hot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, before we hit record, you were saying how it was super hot. So crazy story really quick. We're based in Connecticut. Saturday and Sunday were in the mid 90s. Friday was a high of 70. And today we're back down to 70. I mean, I woke up this morning, it was 50 degrees. Yesterday, it hit, I think, a high in 96. I was outside trying to mow my lawn. And uh, I was trying to do it as fast as possible because it was so, so warm. But it's so crazy, like how our weather here in Connecticut, it ebbs and flows. It's kind of crazy. But I know in Florida, you don't get that. (laughs) It just stays Yeah, we actually just had um, hail the other day. And my daughter, she's six. She's never seen it before. And I was like, there's ice coming out of the sky. And she was like, what? No, there's not. So we brought her outside (laughs) to see it. She was very thrilled with that because she likes science. So she was like, how? It's so crazy. And I, I, I've traveled to the Midwest quite a bit and the hail, I mean, I, I, we get hail here, but it's like tiny, tiny. Mm-hmm. It's almost like snowflakes. Hail in the South, hail in the Midwest is like legit hail. Like that you see on the movies where they're like golf balls or quarters or dimes. It doesn't look like, you know, here we're lucky if we get hail in Connecticut that actually looks like hail, <laughs> like you would see mm-hmm. in the, on the internet. So that the hail that you guys get it is real hail. Yeah, like it. I mean, it wasn't too bad the other day, but I have been like in one. Like when I got a new car one time, ironically, a big hailstorm came, and I remember being pulled over, and it was big chunks hitting my new car, and I was like, no. <laughs> oh my god, you gotta love it, gotta love it. Well, Chelsea, thank you for being a guest here on the podcast. You and I connected uh, via the internet, which I always try to find that the positive. Um, and everything. And I know the internet can be kind of a dark, scary place sometimes, but we love connecting with survivors. I know you've got a, kind of a, a really unique background. And so what we always do here at our podcast is we always give our guests kind of the first opportunity to kind of share their background with our audience. And with that, I'll hand it off to you. And I like to say, you can go as far back as you want, or you can say as high level as you want. And uh, with that, the mic is yours, Chelsea. Thanks. So I guess I'll just tell you a little bit about my cancer story. I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma at 28, which was in 2018. And I underwent, you know, the typical course of treatment took me about nine months to finish. And I was one of those people that liked to pretend like I never had cancer or thought I could pretend. So I decided to hop back to work like only six weeks post chemo. And about three months after that, I relapsed actually on the same exact day (laughs) that I got diagnosed the prior year. So it was very overwhelming because I had a young daughter Um, when I was first diagnosed. She was turning three. Now she was turning four. And I was scared, to be honest. Obviously, I know we all are, but they told me I needed a stem cell transplant. So I went into another type of treatment and it didn't work. And that was probably the scariest I've ever been is when that didn't work but um, ended up going on to have a autologous um, transplant, which is my own cells. And that was on April Fool's Day in the middle of the pandemic while Florida was closed down. (laughs) So it was quite interesting. 
I was able to get that. And thankfully, two years have gone by and I've been in remission from the transplant, which is amazing. I have completely changed the way my life looks because of cancer entering it. I used to be an insurance adjuster, if <laughs> you can believe it. But now I work as a full-time artist. I run a cancer awareness brand called Oh You're So Tough. And that's like the name I go by as an artist. And just by sharing my art, I've been able to get a community of like-minded survivors who are giving themselves, you know, support through my art, but also supporting each other, which is really awesome. Wow. So you went, so you have this experience and, and, you know, it's, it's so hard because we've had guests on the podcast that have battled cancer during the pandemic. Um, so you go through this life altering experience at a very young age uh, during the pandemic of, you know, uh, which is just crazy for everyone. And then you totally shift 180 degrees in terms of career. You go from being an insurance adjuster. And the only reason why I'm laughing, because I used to be in the insurance world. So for those listening <laughs> so you know at all, <laughs> yeah, I used to be not in the property casualty, but I was in the health and life. But I I mean, very similar, um, dealt with a lot of PNC guys, uh, property and casualty. So you go from that to, to then awareness for cancer and running and uh, being an artist and running a brand and building a brand. So I guess my first question is, when you were first diagnosed, like young family, being 28, like what went through your mind? I really was in a place where I think a lot of young people are, where their career has become a big part of their whole identity and their life. So I was, you know, growing into my career and working a lot. And I remember being diagnosed and thinking the worst part was that I was going to have to leave work and lose like my place in my career and then also kind of leave my work to figure out things without me, which looking back now, I know is completely silly, but at the time that's what I thought. And then also my daughter, I was so afraid that, you know, she wouldn't remember me if something happened to me. So my husband and I have been together for many years and I would, I remember just like crying saying, you know, make sure she doesn't forget me. And he would always, you know, yell at me, like, don't talk like that. But, you know, it's really a scary place to be in when you're told something like that, especially when I never thought I ha I could have cancer or I did have cancer. Like, it didn't make sense. It didn't add up in my mind. <laughs> well, I, I would imagine, as you said, like, when you're at that age, like, most 28-year-olds are probably so career-driven, right? Because that's what society mm -hmm. tells us and focused on that mission that then you're given this cancer diagnosis and then life changes literally in an instant. Yeah. And it was like lymphoma has a lot of interesting symptoms that are everyday things that maybe people normally have. And so, you know, being tired, I was working 70 hours a week at that point, um, losing weight. I was on Weight Watchers, like, you know, all of these things didn't add up to cancer. And I remember my mom had to push me to go to the ER because a lymph node came on my neck and I felt it. And I thought, you know, I went to the urgent care. They told me it was a cold or something. I said, okay, I'll take the antibiotics and go on about my day. And my mom said, you know, it's not gone away. I need you to go. I'll, t I'll take your daughter. And she basically forced me to go in. And the ER doctor had told me, we'll do a simple chest x-ray. You'll be on your way pretty much. And she came back in like 10 minutes later, she was holding a teddy bear. Her eyes had tears in them. And I was like, this, is she in the wrong room or what's happening? And she came in and she was like, I'm sorry, but we found masses all over your chest. 
we have to admit you now. And I remember just turning to my husband, like, I can't lose my hair. Like that was the worst thing that I could think of at that time. But yeah, it was quite a shock. So then how was it now you said the second time during COVID, like how was that experience compared to that first time? I mean, I got to imagine, you know, as the world is unraveling during the pandemic, right? And everyone's trying to figure out what is really going on. And then bam, you're hit with another gut punch, uh, to use a term here that, you know, is probably something that's quite unexpected at the time, given what you were gone through already. Yeah, it was really interesting because it was October when I got re-diagnosed, um, 2019. So, you know, things weren't like quite into the full pandemic, you know, things were, you know, mumblings about Mm -hmm. the virus, but, you know, everybody was kind of normal. So then when January came around, I was given the news of the chemo that I was on wasn't working. And then the reports on the news started rolling in for the pandemic. And so it was like everything hit again at once. And it was really scary because I had free housing set up for my transplant. You have to have housing nearby the hospital and I live two hours away. Well, it was through a charity they closed it down literally a week before I was supposed to go there. So I had to rent an Airbnb at last minute when Airbnb was stopping rental and my husband almost didn't get to be my caretaker. They said, you know, we're not sure, but you know, we may not let anybody else come in there with you to the hospital because I had to be in the hospital for a month. Thank God he was like, I think one of the last one or two people that they allowed to be in the hospital. Cause that was one of the scariest things to me being in the hospital. And if I had to be there alone, I would have been a mess. And there are people who did have to do their whole transplant alone. And I don't even know how they did it. So crazy. I mean, I know we, we look back now where we are, right. And in hindsight, as they say, is always 2020 and easy to look back and look at these situations. But do you look back at all this and, and given what we just talked about, you know, the pandemic and everything, and was there kind of a, a one or two things that really kind of held you guys together and helped you get through that time? Absolutely, my daughter, because, you know, when you kind of want to give up on things, if you have a child, they're always there looking at you like, doesn't matter that you're bald, it doesn't matter that you're sick, it doesn't matter anything, they still love you and they need you around. And so, you know, there was times where I think all of us go through this where you're like, I don't want any more chemo or I don't want to go through any more painful things or I just kind of, I'm tired of it. And, you know, being tired is normal. But I think when you see your child looking at you, just like all they see is mom, it kind of gives you the inner strength to continue to keep going. And especially too, I was looking at, you know, stories of children going through cancer that always motivates me too because you know I could I would go to Mayo Clinic so I would walk by other patients and I would see some children and I would tell myself like Chelsea you can do this if this child can do this you can do this and so I think yeah ironically like you know my child and other children give me strength to say you know not that they're I'm not you know I'm trying to make them into an inspiration for anyone but I'm saying like hey you know our lives aren't so bad when you see, you know, a child going through something like that. Well, I think you, you dig deep, right? And you, you look at those situations and you find ways to, to not give up. And clearly having a young daughter, you know, is probably inspiration in itself, right? To, to make sure that you come home 
from that 30 days or, or from that, that treatment that you're doing every day. Mm-hmm. And it was Easter over that time when I was in the hospital. So it was very hard to say, you know, I couldn't do an Easter egg hunt. I couldn't make her a basket. I couldn't do any of those things. And I remember, you know, she'd be on the FaceTime with me, like, mom, when are you coming home? It was, she was with my mom. So thank goodness my mom was able to take her, but it's just very upsetting to feel like you can't be their parent because you're too sick. And my husband couldn't be there either. He had to take care of me. So she, you know, was with my mom. She was in great hands, but you feel a lot of guilt to not be there. So I know you were just talking about, you know, the motivation of your daughter and how that got you through that time. I want to shift gears here a little bit and talk a little bit about, because you've done quite a bit of contributing. You know, you decided to launch your own, uh, you know, business, raising awareness. Before we get to the contributing, because I want to talk about that, because you have done a lot of writing here recently. What was the moment? And I know this is this is a hard question. I say this is kind of a loaded question. I'll preface that. When was the moment that you realized like, hey, I'm done doing the adjuster. I'm going to go in and I'm going to go all in on raising awareness and, and bringing, you know, um, positivity to the world with people battling cancer? I never set out, to be honest with you, I've never set out to do what I'm doing now. It all kind of naturally happened, which I think is actually better a way of things happening sometimes. So, you know, when I was at home with my daughter, she couldn't go back to, you know, pre-K because of COVID. I was home recovering and I just on a whim purchased uh, an Apple pencil and a drawing program for my iPad and started drawing. And I found it to be a very cathartic way to get things out of my head onto, you know, drawing. I was not a professional artist, not even an artist at all, just kind of messing around. And I posted it, one or two drawings on my page when it was just literally just my page, like nothing to do with cancer really. And the response I got, I was like, wow, people feel the way I do. And I felt seen and I feel like I was seeing other people. And that led me to kind of look at what was available out there for cancer patients for products. And I know I never identified with the warrior or, you know, the battle language that comes with the cancer community sometimes. Not that I fault anyone for believing in that. That's okay. Whatever helps you get through. But I remember thinking, why isn't there more, you know, humorous things that are being sold? And so I remember coming up with like one or two designs, putting them on Etsy. And I'm one of those people, like if something doesn't work out right away, I think like, oh, I'm going to give up. (laughs) You know, I'm just like one of those people. So within like three days, I didn't have any sales. And I remember thinking, I know three days is ridiculous. Anyone listening to this, but in my mind, it wasn't ridiculous at the time. I told my husband, oh, I'm going to give up. Nobody thinks they're good or whatever. And my first sale came in the next day and it was to Australia and the shipping was like unbelievably crazy, but they paid it. And I remember thinking, okay, if somebody will pay $20 to ship this little, you know, design of mine to Australia, there might be something to this. And so that's kind of where I started. And also when you're asking how I ended up leaving that job, it was very hard for me. I won't, I'll be honest with you. The money that you get when you're established in a career, you know, have salary wise, you kind of think, oh, I can't exist without that. Well, thankfully, my husband, he was very pushy (laughs) in a good way, but he was like, you know, please, you've gone through so much. Please just 
walk away from that. We'll figure it out. Like I will figure out something. We will figure out something together, but I can't have you unhappy. You didn't survive in order to live unhappy. So I remember my mom took me up to North Carolina for a little trip. And while we were on that thing, I was typing an email, like as if I was going to quit, but not, not really sending it. She grabbed it and she was like, send. And I was like, did you really just do that? And she did. And I actually am very grateful that she did, (laughs) but I just didn't have the courage to do it because, you know, it's very nerve wracking to change your entire career path that you've been on. Well, I got a question for you. Were you, were you, so this to me screams entrepreneur, right? I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. And I guess I, it screams for me because I consider myself an entrepreneur. So when you were little, were you like into like doing stuff from an entrepreneurial side? I have always been somebody that has a lot of projects going on, whether it be like I was volunteering a million places or I had a lot of personal things. So I used to have like a YouTube channel where I would do Disney type vlogs when I, before my daughter came and I just always have a lot of ideas, which I've now realized for me personally was ADHD. (laughs) So like ADHD comes, you know, a lot of ideas fly into your head and I'm always one of those people that's like, I'll try it and see how it goes, but I usually won't keep doing it. But this type of Avenue has allowed me to explore many different things. So I have a coloring book. I have a children's book. I have, you know, this podcast I'm doing, I have all types of little things that keep me engaged with it. And yeah, I went to school for business. So if that tells me anything, I really wanted to be a social worker, but somehow ended up in the business school, but I think it all worked out well. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think you've done pretty well for yourself. So it's just, I was just popped onto your Instagram here and, and you've got quite a following and then jumping on your Etsy page. I mean, this is just so awesome. Um, so where do you find the inspiration? Because clearly you, you have a pretty creative arm here um, because there's all sorts of mugs and different types of sayings. I mean, this is just so cool. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, cards, all related in positivity about cancer and the cancer journey? Honestly, a lot of things come to me through experiences I've had and also from other people's experiences. So through my Instagram, we do a twice weekly art project where people send in things that have been said to them, maybe not the greatest (laughs) sentiments. And so I draw them for them as a way to kind of anonymously get their feelings out and maybe they can share it, but they could blame it on me. Like, you know, it was anonymous submission. Um, so they, you know, sometimes what has been said to them kind of comes to me, especially for card designs. I'm like, Hey, what kind of card would they would have wanted to receive versus what they got? Like maybe they don't want to be brave card, but they want one that says, you don't have to be brave. I still love you. And I kind of think of it in that way. And then also with like, chronic illnesses I like to come up with unique things that aren't the typical like you know multiple sclerosis we have a design through there it says too cool for just one sclerosis because it's multiple sclerosis (laughs) and so it really has like resonated with that community and I get a lot of great feedback like hey you're going viral in my uh you know POTS group or my MS group for your design and I'm like that's so cool because I think there's just too much of the same so cool. So I, again, I'm just kind of scrolling through here and I, I just love this whole concept of being able to have people submit stuff because 
I, I, and you know, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast and, and I just saw something about friends. And so a lot of people will, on the podcast, we've talked about it, but here at, at our charity, and so I'll relate this to, you know, what we do here. You know, we get people that call in and be like, hey, my neighbor just got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. What's the best thing I can do for them? Right. And, and I think like, I just saw that friend's post, you know, and, and so it's just so cool because there's a, there's a real, there's a, it's real. Right, like what you're what you're putting out, the content is real. What patients are feeling and what people are experiencing, and I think that's so important because I feel like cancer is so taboo, like all cancers. Right, like when someone gets a cancer diagnosis, it's like, oh my god, it's almost like you know people don't know how to act or react. But like, and and, and but the reality is, is that people are still the same people, right? Like mm-hmm. Chelsea didn't change. Like she didn't grow a third leg because she got a cancer diagnosis. You would think that we did, right? <laughs> correct, correct. And and you know, I I've never gone through cancer. Um, preface that, but I, I think I guess I can say that I'm an expert in some degree because I went through it with my dad. I work with it day in day out. I see it from the patient perspective, and I've talked to thousands of patients, um, and I've talked to probably as many caregivers and friends. So I see it from both sides, which is kind of a really unique perspective, right? And and so I think what you're doing is so amazing because you're humanizing this entire experience. And the more and more that we humanize this, um, I think the better society hopefully can, you know, deal with this. It's it's almost like, and I know I think May is Mental Health Month as well. Mm-hmm. It's it like is, we yeah. don't we don't talk about mental health, right? But if we have, but you know, it's kind of like any big challenge, like with racism, right? We got to have these tough conversations. And I, and I feel mental health is one of them. We got to have this mental health conversation, but cancer is one of them as well, right? Like we have to have these tough conversations and cancer, a cancer diagnosis is a tough conversation because lives potentially will change in the long run, either good or bad. Mm-hmm. But if we don't that's, have these conversations, then, you know, nothing changes, right? That's absolutely, that's, you pretty much said everything that I try to convey and and it can be, it's not for everyone. Like I've recently made an art thing that said three reasons to share about your cancer publicly and three reasons not to. And on each list was because you want to, because coming out and speaking about it, especially when you don't follow the same narrative that has already always been out there, like be brave. I'm climbing Mount Everest after I get done with cancer. Like if you just show like, actually I'm just sitting on my couch a bit depressed about everything that I've gone through, then society whether it be people who have never had cancer or even people who did have cancer who prefer to live in that sort of world where it's all about positive things that came out of cancer they sometimes do get upset when you know me or other people talk about the reality of what it is because I guess it's it's hard to swallow sometimes and that's the truth though but if we don't talk about it we'll never have any better support from people because they will think it's all sunshine and rainbows Correct. Correct. And I, and I hope that this podcast has done that. Um, that's what our goal is, you know, is to, to put this reality and, and share people like yourself that are doing this. So on that note, um, and I've got a couple of questions left here for you, given what, I'm, and this is going to be two parts, given what you went through, what would be the best advice to someone listening? And then I want to take it. The next step is going to be given what you're doing now maybe something that you didn't do, but that you've heard. Um, so with that, 
someone just got diagnosed today, they're listening to this podcast, your own personal experience, what would be the best advice for that person? Regardless of the cancer, we're just talking cancer as a whole. So for a patient or for somebody supporting a, a, a patient? A patient, a patient. Okay. What I would say and what I was really bad at, so it kind of goes along the lines is you need to be selfish. I know it sounds a bit, you know, counterintuitive, but yes, you need to be selfish right now because there's going to be, as soon as you get diagnosed with cancer, it's like a light comes shining on you and people see you and they're like, Ooh, Oh, that's so sad. Or, Ooh, um, I, I want to know more. Ooh, I want to help. It could be all those things, but you get a barrage of things coming in at you. People you've not talked to in 20 years might come and say, Hey, I heard you had cancer. What, what's your prognosis? Or, you know, what stage are you? Or asking these questions that are meant well, but you don't have to answer them. And it's not your job to answer them. I remember sitting there, I would sit there for hours writing people back, like, I just had a biopsy and yeah, I threw up yesterday and my hair fell out and da da da. And it was people who truly aren't even in my life now. And I wish I had been a bit more selective about where I put my energy. My energy really needed to be on my family surviving and getting through this and not so much on what I call grief tourists. I love that. And I know you've written about grief tourists um, mm -hmm. for Cure Today, which we'll talk about here in a second. Same question. Now, remove yourself, but maybe something that's been submitted, something that you've seen doing what you've been doing over the last two years with your business. I will say... I want to say something to people who are maybe trying to support somebody with cancer, like you had said, please don't treat us like we are a totally different person because we feel it and it's painful because we're already in a way, what I say is I'm not, the person I was before I had cancer died the day I heard the words I have cancer because the dreams that I had for my life, the children I thought I might have, you know, I became, you know, in menopause because of my transplant, all of those things just melted away. And I was left with somebody I didn't even know. And so, because I'm already feeling like that, if you start treating me like that too, you become a little bit lost. And I get so sad when, you know, people he don't hear from their friends anymore, or if they hear from their friends, all they hear is like, hey, um, yeah, I hope you're okay. And then the person who had cancer would be like, hey, how are you? How have you been though? You know, trying to just be a friend. And they don't want to say, anything about their life because they don't want to come off that their life is anything as bad as our life. And it's like, we don't want you to treat us like that. I just want to know about, you know, how things are going at your work or somebody cut you off or, you know, whatever you might've normally talked to me about yesterday before you found out I had cancer. I want you to continue talking to me like that today because I want to be treated just like me. And I want you to be there for me, but not, in a way where you have to treat me like I'm a little kid, you know, I hold my hand through everything. Just be my friend, love me. I think normalization, right? And, and I think that's where, you know, but if we don't have these conversations like we're having now, and hopefully the audience listening at home or watching, you know, really takes that to heart that, you know, just because someone gets a cancer diagnosis, they don't grow a third leg, they're not radioactive. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think my experience, 
all the episodes that we've recorded with cancer survivors and fighters is that normalization. I remember one gentleman, um, you know, who was on the podcast was like, yeah, the most impactful thing was my buddies who would call me before I got sick to talk about baseball would call me when I got sick to talk about baseball. And that's all we talked about, right. Was about baseball. And I, and I think from, and and I get it, you know, from, um, there's, there's a lot of really good people in the world. And unfortunately the media has not shown that recently. Mm -hmm. Um, not all media, but but some, you know, I mean, I think like social media has played a part in that where, you know, everything is so doom and gloom and negative, but there's a lot of really, really good people in the world. And I and I think, you know, it's easy to go down that rabbit hole of, uh, you know, negativity or, you know, in the sense that, you know, just because someone gets a cancer diagnosis, as grim as it may be, they're still the same person. You know, they may change a little bit because, you know, they have some insight or to your point, as you said, you know, they may... They may put like, you know, hey, I've got to worry about me. So instead of them going to get coffee with you every Friday that you guys used to do, um, you know, they probably have to stay at home because of treatment. You could still FaceTime. I mean, we are in an amazing time with technology where you could Zoom, you know, like what we're doing right yeah, now. Exactly. You know, you can get together with friends over, over. Uh, I, I literally yesterday was uh, on Facebook uh, video call with family in Italy, you know, in the afternoon. So technology is amazing. Embrace it doesn't mean you have to like continue, you know, if it doesn't work out, but you can still reach out to your loved ones and your friends and still do those, still have those routine conversations about baseball, basketball, whatever your hobbies are, right? It could be your garden or or what where you're going, you know, what you're making on the weekend for your family or what, whatever that hobby or that interest is. It could be cars. So I, I think that's really critical. And I, I think as a society though, Again, we we've got to have these conversations that you know kind of normalize uh, the cancer, um, and I and then this kind of leads me to my next question. I know you've written a couple articles for Cure Today, uh, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had one that said that said, "Stop saying cancer is a battle." So I want to talk about that briefly. Um, I know you've also. Uh, there's another one, patients with cancer don't owe grief to us anything, which I think you hit on before, but let's start with uh, stop saying cancer is a battle. And where did that come from? Uh, so as soon as you get diagnosed, I think that the typical, like I said, the societal narrative is of a warrior, um, somebody who is, you know, maybe <laughs> battling like a dragon or a monster, which I understand where that comes from, certainly, because, you know, you do feel like you're trying to slay a dragon sometimes. But I think that the narrative of always calling somebody brave or strong or an inspiration is a lot of pressure for the average cancer patient to hold on their head. So if you are having a bad day, imagine trying to go talk to Sally, but Sally always says you're her inspiration. Well, you probably don't want to burst Sally's bubble and tell her that you're actually depressed about how your life looks right now with cancer. Or, you know, you go over to talk to Joe and you say, you know, I'm really having a hard time. And he just looks at you and goes, you know, but you got this. You're a warrior. It, it just is very dismissive and it doesn't leave space for the true feelings of cancer patients. That's really powerful because I, I, I think, you know, I look back and you're spot on because not everyone sees themselves as a warrior, right? Or you know, a, a, a world-class fighter. Mm-hmm. And by saying that, I guess then here's my question. Is it more harmful than good? For me, it is. 
And I know this is that article ironically had a lot of controversy around it because there are a whole subset of people who like that narrative. I think it's more or less family members of cancer patients that still really use those terms. But there are some cancer patients that, you know, also like it, which I said in the article, I don't, like I said, I don't fault anyone. If you want to go out, out every day and eat ice cream to get through, you know, chemo, do it. Like, I'm so happy for you. But I think that as a society, like you're saying, we have to have these conversations where, you know, don't say somebody lost their battle with cancer when they die. They didn't lose anything. You know, no. they died of cancer. You don't say somebody lost their battle to a heart attack or somebody <laughs> lost their battle to a car accident. You don't Correct. say that. You know, and it's a lot of, you know, expectations and just things put on cancer patients to be one certain way. And if you want to be that certain way, do it. But you have to allow other people to not be that way and accept them, even if they're not brave, strong, or wanting to be an inspiration. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I mean, the, the thing is, though, not the thing is, but to hear you say that, you know, think about this. Like someone, I, I know I've heard, so I, I'm thinking about experiences here. So, you know, we've had people on the podcast, survivors, and they, they say, you know, like the mind shift change, you know, staying positive, adding comedy. But to call someone a warrior, you know, that, that can have a lot of pressure on someone, right? So I, I think... We've got to be careful as caregivers and as friends of people who are battling. I mean, some people would probably love that, right? Like some people mm -hmm. are into that, like to your point, but other people, like that's not their thing, right? Like they don't, they don't see themselves. And to put that pressure on someone who doesn't feel that way is, is, is very dangerous. And I think a simple way that you can kind of convey a similar sentiment is to simply tell somebody that you're proud of them because- no matter what they do, go get up to go to chemo, you know, get up to get their new last shot, whatever it might be. Yeah. Just telling somebody, I love you and I'm proud of you. That has nothing, no expectations tied to it. It's just like, okay, you know, there's a little person who thinks I'm doing a good job. Like, let me just, I can keep going. Which is so powerful, right? To tell someone, because you know what else happens and that I've seen, I think a lot of cancer patients and, and this happens early on. And I think for some, it lasts longer than others is they have this guilt about like, why me or, and I know, again, I can speak from experience, not me going through it, but my mom, who's a two-time breast cancer survivor and my dad was, they questioned, what did they do? What did they do to get the cancer? And I'm sure this happens and I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of our guests that, again, fighters, I, again, I speak a lot from experience on this this podcast and listening to the cancer fighters and survivors, a lot of them have mentioned that they went through this exercise, but then they realize, okay, we got to move on because that's not mm -hmm. helping any, like trying to go back hindsight. And, and we try to play, like sometimes we, we talk about it here in the podcast, look at previous experiences or, you know, was there a strong family history, you know, or did you experience symptoms, you know, 10 years prior and, you know, but that's kind of not negative in a way, but like, again, hindsight's always going to be 2020, but I think to go back, like cancer survivors, I think go through this exercise, right? Because you're given this diagnosis and then you're like, oh God, what did I do wrong? And, and, and for a lot of people, they didn't do anything. Yeah, I've actually had people, and I know I kind of went through this, like it's, it's crazy it sounds, but when you have cancer, you're sitting there thinking, what did I do? But also like, 
oh, am I being like karmically like punished for something that I did in a past life? (laughs) It sounds so crazy, but you do think that. Yeah. And I think another thing that happens is people who are like those grief tourist people, they try to ask you questions about what you could have done to prevent your cancer because they want to make sure they're not going to end up like you. And so that's a very dangerous way of asking, you know, when people ask these things, because we're already thinking that in our mind. And then if you're going to come up and ask me as well, I'm really starting to think, what did I do? Or what did I miss? And then you're starting to blame people for their cancer. And that's not right. No, it's, it's, there's nothing positive that comes out of it. And again, like to, to go down that road is just so toxic and negative. So I love your idea of, I love you because love, love, everyone needs love, right? And love Mm -hmm. is, you know, amazing what love can do and how proud you are of someone. I I think that is just great terminology to use. Um, Now, if someone considers themselves uh, a warrior, then you run with it. And I know we've Mm -hmm. had people on the podcast that have talked that way. You run with it. That's awesome. But not everyone feels that way. So I think, you know, a great way to, to, compliment and to support in a positive way is to love and tell them how proud they are uh, of what they're doing and how they're how they're battling it right because that's another key thing like I, I don't think there's like one size fits all mm-hmm. um, and that's why I love sharing like how people got through it what are some of the strategies that they help to get through that process because again it's not like not everyone's going to do yoga or meditate or, you know, be on organic food um, or, you know, on a, on a plant-based diet. Um, That's just not going to work for everyone, but you got to find what works best for you and just run with it. So I love it. And I think you should, I think what we're doing now by having these conversations is letting people know you should allow the person who has cancer to kind of direct how that's going to go. So if you see them post about themselves and they call themselves a warrior, great. That's how they identify. But don't assign that to them within the first three days that you see they have cancer because then it feels like a lot of weight has been put on your head. Um, I always I made, wrote this poem once and it was like, as soon as I got diagnosed, a, a crown was set upon my head. And that's how it felt like, oh, here you go. Your, your new assignment is to be an inspirational cancer warrior. And I was just like, uh no, no, thank you. <laughs> like, I'm just yeah. trying to get through this. Yeah. and But that's such a powerful statement though, Chelsea, because like you said, I, some people are very private. Like I, I, we've reached out to hundreds of people that have never been guests on the podcast. And a lot of them that do reply say, Hey man, like I, I don't want to, I don't want to tell my story. It's just too much, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally, physically, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like we have to respect that. I respect that like mm-hmm. tremendously that someone, you know, says that back to me when I get those responses, I don't go, oh man, that sucks. No, that's awesome, man, that you're in a good place. But you know, if you ever change your mind, you know, we'd love to share that. Um, so there's no, there's no wrong with that. Um, and I love how people, you know, it's, it's more powerful that people recognize that right. Versus Mm -hmm. doing something that maybe they don't feel comfortable with. And then they, you know, maybe feel worse about posts because they went out and did that. And again, they're fitting into that stereotype. There's a lot of pressure with that. Tons of pressure. And, you know, I've heard from people that are afraid to share their story because they don't want to be treated differently, like at work or, you know, even with their family members, they don't want to be seen differently. And I can understand that, you know, some people go their entire cancer experience, never telling anyone outside of their spouse that they have it. And, you know, especially with the pandemic, there's people who were working from home. So 
nobody ever knew what was going on with them. And sometimes I hear from people that have like anonymous Instagram accounts, like they have their main one and they have their one. Yeah. And they like have sent me messages and I can tell like this person hasn't ever told anyone else how they're feeling. And so it's, I am grateful that I have a space for these people to come to where I can kind of say, oh yeah, I see you, whoever you might be, <laughs> you know, but I, I understand, I relate. And then they can kind of go back to their regular life where they are protected and don't have to think about those things, which is, can be a good thing, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. So powerful. Uh, I've got two things left for you here. Um, my last question for you, and this is a, a loaded question. There's no right or wrong. Given your experience, both personally and what you've been doing here over the last couple of years, helping other people, how do you define the term cancer? Mm. I really don't give it any other power than what it is. It's a genetic mutation that happens to some of us. And it's not because you uh, cut off somebody in traffic 10 years ago. It's just something that happens that's bad to you that happens to some people. And, you know, I think that's another thing too. When you survive cancer, you start living so cautiously at first. Like, I got to make these changes in my life. I got to start eating this way. And you kind of try to keep the beast cancer away. Well, the truth is you got to live while you can live and on those good days, because, you know, maybe your cancer might come back and maybe it won't, but I don't think that you going to eat kale instead of ice cream that day is really going to dictate it. I think it's just going to be what it is. And so I always tell people like really, truly live like you're going to be well for the rest of your life. So that if, you know, you have all those good days and if it does come back, then you can deal with it then and you didn't waste all of that time worrying and worrying. And so, yeah, I just don't like to give it too much power. I just kind of think that's a bad thing that happens to some of us. It's powerful. You know, hearing you say that, I mean, you know, that that's just life, right? I mean, like life, it, it, you know, and we've talked about this. I think there's this notion that people feel like life is about being on top. And we've talked about this on the podcast mm -hmm. and it's not, it's not. People are not on top for a very long time and we could look yeah. at sports, we can look at entertainment, um, but just let's bring this to, to personal life and people going through this. It's about when you're knocked down and how you get up, right? And, and how you get through the trenches of life and the struggles of life that really define you. And I think cancer is one of those times, right? And, and there's nothing that potentially... Yeah, there there are genetics. Don't get me wrong. And and you know, if you're smoking and not really taking care of yourself, eventually. But that's the same thing with heart disease, right? Like eventually, mm -hmm. that is gonna catch up with you. Um, and the the probability of something happening potentially are well, not potentially, but are greater. You know, if you're smoking and and doing other things that are, are not healthy for your body. But uh, for the most people, you know things just happen. And we, I think we, you know, having these conversations, as we said, you know, similar to mental illness, you know, no one did anything to get a cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like kind of how, like how we react from that is really the critical piece and getting up from that, you know, so uh, it's just awesome stuff, Chelsea. I know you've written, you've got your Etsy spot, your Etsy shop, you've got Instagram. The last thing here I want to share with our audience is where's the best place for people to connect? I know looking at your Instagram, you do have a website and I think that gets you kind of to everywhere. Mm -hmm. So if someone listening to this podcast wants to connect with you, um, learn more about what you've written, uh, take a look at your stickers and all the t-shirts and all the mugs and all the cool stuff, uh, what's the best place for them to do that? If you want to actually 
talk to me directly I always reply to every Instagram message I know it doesn't seem like I could but I do <laughs> I do reply to everyone um but I have a link tree there on my Instagram it's oh you're so tough and it has all my links to pretty much everything um but if you just google me oh you're so tough it should come up with absolutely everything that I have um but yeah no but I do because I remember being the person on the other end of a direct message to somebody just desperately like seeking somebody to speak to. So I always take the time to reply to everyone. Um, maybe not in the future when I, if I have more followers, but for right now I'm making time for it because it's important to me. Awesome. Well, the world needs more people like you, Chelsea. Uh, thank you for all you're doing for the cancer community, being a super advocate and, uh, for all the positivity that you're putting out there. Um, like I said, like the more conversations we have about this, I know that hopefully people will be impacted, whether it's a cancer survivor or an advocate or a neighbor or a family member that just has someone who's just been diagnosed. I hope by them listening or watching this podcast, now they have a better understanding and, and can go into that situation in a much more positive experience than they would before they didn't listen to this. So thank you for sharing yeah. and thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. And just one thing I'll leave you guys is like, it's better to say something than nothing. So if you, even if you think it might not be the exact right thing to say, just still say it because we want to hear from you. And we just, the worst thing is silence. Awesome. So powerful. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, feel free to share this episode and please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, please be safe.